Welcome to IEQ Radio, the voice of the indoor air quality industry. Yes, the rules have changed. have changed. Good day wherever you're listening from and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, December 10th, 2010. This week episode 189 comes to you from Studio C in beautiful McKees Rocks, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes or Radio Joe and here with me in the studio is the Z-Man, Cliff Zlotnick. It's a cold Friday in Pittsburgh, Joe. That it is. At the controls (laughs) is our engineer, Austin Powers Novak. Stone Cold Austin Novak, that is. All right, today's segments include the IAQ Radio trivia question, an interview with Beth Dobkin and Don Glovin of Mr. Rooter Plumbing, and uh, halftime with IE Connections, of course, with Mr. Glenn Fellman, IE Connections editor and our uh, halftime news person. And then we'll go back to our interview and finish with the roundup. We're going to talk about plumbing and indoor air quality issues today, and I am looking forward to what we think will be an interesting interview. We've been updating and adding a blog to the IAQ Radio website every week after the show. Check it out at iaqradio.com. Before we get started, let's thank our marquee sponsors. Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information are available at ieconnections.com. John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at johndon.com. Clean Facts and Cleaning and Maintenance Management Magazine, your source for cleaning and maintenance news. Visit them at cleanfacts.com and cmmonline.com. Please be sure to thank our sponsors for their support of IEQ Radio when you inquire about their services and products. All right. To contact the show, you can just log on to the iaqradio.com site and follow the link that says go to the show. You will see two options there from the TalkShoe website. You can either join using the TalkShoe Pro, which requires a password, or you can join as a guest and it will not require a password. And it's a lot easier that way. Don't forget, we also have those ABIH certification maintenance points. IICRC continuing education credits and ACAC renewal credits, just email me at joe.hughes at iaqtraining.com. And uh, we've been working on those, by the way, so that you can now answer those right online. So those are uh, going very well. Last but not least, please visit the IAQ Training Institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at iaqtraining.com. Let's turn it over to the Z-Man for today's IAQ Radio trivia question. Thanks, Joe. 
Win a cool prize by outcompeting fellow IAQ Radio listeners and being the first person to correctly answer the IAQ Radio trivia question each week. Submitting your answer is easy. Email it to czlotnick at cs.com, or if you're listening to the show live, you can text it in with your computer. Congratulations. To John Lapotere, MicroShield Environmental Services in Winter Springs, Florida, for being the first person to answer last week's trivia question by identifying asthma as the chronic condition identified by school nurses as more disruptive to school routines than any other. The IQ Radio Trivia Question for Friday, December 10th, 2010 has been sponsored by Cochrane & Associates, the indoor air quality industry's dedicated marketing and public relations firm. Now for this week's trivia question. From what Latin word is the word plumber derived? Uh, I know that one from my, okay, I can't give away any hints though. All right, Cliff, let's uh, get those intros, please. Sure. Today's guests on IAQ Radio, Beth Dobkin and Don Gloven, are both licensed plumbers who between them have over 70 years of combined experience in the plumbing field. Don Gloven unknowingly started his plumbing career by working as a plumber's helper beginning in 1972. He obtained journeyman's and master's plumber's licenses and worked his way up to vice president of a large plumbing firm. In 1994, he moved to North Carolina and started his own plumbing business and now works as a laborer for himself. <laughs> He's been a Mr. Rooter plumbing franchisee in North Carolina since 2000. Beth Dobkin started her plumbing career working for a large plumbing mechanical contractor. Several years after moving to California, she and her husband Dan started a residential plumbing service business. Sixteen years later, they sold that business to a public investment firm, but remained on as part of the management team managing 19 service vehicles, 25,000 annual service calls, and a staff of 30. Four and a half years later, an opportunity opened up for Beth to become part of Mr. Reuter Corporate's franchising team, where she remains today as manager of technical services, as well as a franchise consultant. And both Beth and Dawn have children who are plumbers. All right. How about some issue? When the toilet will not flush, and the odor makes you blush, and you cannot use the sink or shower stall, well then you're learning and your heart's Good afternoon, Dan. Good morning, Beth, and thank you for joining us uh, today on IAQ Radio. Let's make sure we have you both on the line. Hello. Yes, we're here. Great. Excellent. Okay. Well, why don't we just maybe start out with a preventative tip or measures. Uh, Beth, what sort of preventative tips and measures can property owners take uh, to prevent, you know, common property damage from plumbing systems? Well, the, the biggest one that uh, insurance agents will tell you, the number one damage claim is burst washing machine hoses. So go and check your washing machine hoses if they're rubber. Uh, you may want to change those out for the steel braided uh, stainless steel hoses. Um, also, um, typically that would be a damage claim if that burst, 
you're looking at a $5,000 out-of-pocket expense before your insurance kicks in. So something that can really help the customer prevent mold, prevent water damage, and all kinds of things. Also, pressure testing their lines um, and finding out how much water pressure is coming into their home to prevent seals from, on their faucets and in their shower valves from, from leaking in the wall, from you know, splitting because of the, an excessive pressure is something they can do fairly easily by just testing the water pressure. What about running the appliances, Beth? When we chatted yesterday, uh, you know, you oh, mentioned yeah. how important that is. Um, it's really important. A lot of folks, um, especially as your family gets smaller and your children move away or move out, you'll start to hand wash your dishes rather than use your dishwasher as often or if you're, you have a, a, a home that you're not at. A dishwasher is a really common uh, leaking uh, appliance in your home because the seals will wear and they'll, they'll dry rot. So if you're not using your dishwasher, we highly recommend that you use your dishwasher. You run it at least once a month, or you can get a food-friendly lubricant um, similar to Vaseline, but it would be a food friendly that you can spray on that seal to keep it lubricated so it won't leak if you're not using it frequently. And then also your your uh, refrigerator line. Um, if your refrigerator line that, that supplies water to your refrigerator, if you have one for an ice maker or water in your refrigerator door, um, that line needs to be checked maybe every uh, three months or so. If it's um, run in copper, which is, is common, you want to check and make sure that it doesn't kink when you're pushing your refrigerator in and out because that is, it kinks one too many times and it will leak. And if it's done in plastic, you want to make sure that it is not brittle because over the course of time it will get brittle and then it will burst and you'll have a flood in your kitchen. Thank you, Beth. Uh, this is Joe Hughes. And Dawn, I, I was wondering first if, if there was anything you wanted to add to that list that you see in, in maybe especially in your environment in uh, Carol, North Carolina. Well, in our environment uh, in the western North Carolina up in the mountains, we do experience uh, cold weather, which we're getting right now. And we get people that uh, call in with a frozen pipe or something like that. And usually what happens is it's a pipe that's near an exterior vent, and uh, usually you can just close that vent off or put a piece of cardboard in the vent to prevent the airflow from getting through there and freezing that pipe. Or they leave a uh, crawl space door open and the, the wind just blows in through there and uh, freezes the pipes. And if it's a copper line, they usually burst. And once they thaw out, then they start having the water issue. What about, you know, I think most houses, Dawn, uh, have, you know, an outside spigot for your hose or, you know, for dealing with your lawn or washing your car and so on and so forth. Um, are those a problem in the winter? Uh, in, in our area, they use a frost-proof one where it's uh, rather than just being a, like a hose bib on the outside and the, and the valve is all right there, a frost-proof one has a, the handle. There's a long bar connected to the handle. And the actual shutoff is farther inside where it doesn't hold any water if a hose is not connected. What we typically find in the spring is people start calling in and saying they've got when they use their faucet there's water running in the house somewhere through the foundation wall and what they've done is they've left a hose connected during the winter time which did not allow the uh, by doing that you're not allowing the water to drain out of that uh, 
the long tube area of the faucet, and those burst, and they only leak when you use the faucet. So removing your faucet, the hoses, uh, pre-winter is the best time, best prevention you can do. Let me throw one out for either one of you or both. Uh, we, you know, we focus on indoor air quality issues here at IAQ Radio, and I, I just want to get your opinion on why a properly designed and functioning plumbing system is is so important to indoor air quality. Well, the a properly designed and properly operating system, and properly installed, of course, too is uh, you have a series of vents in the plumbing system that allow displace air when water is flowing through the pipes. If you don't have that in there, then uh, the plumbing system can allow uh, sewer gas. If it doesn't vent properly, it allows sewer gas back into the house, which is uh, a methane gas, which is a, is a poisonous gas. Beth, anything you'd like to add? I mean, uh, yeah. Also, also along with that, you, you know, you get you get other uh, plumbers. Typically, will do not in all areas. It's not always the plumber, but a lot of times we'll work on the gas lines. We do the installs of gas lines as well, and um, any kind of gas leak that you're going to have is going to be um, a risk for the per- the people living in that home, and can cause major headaches and stomach issues and and allergic reactions. So proper plumbing, um, checking those P-traps under the sinks to make sure there's no cracks for, you know, methane leak, uh, leaks or uh, sewer lines are properly covered and things like that. It's so important. You know, another thing we talk a lot about here on, on IAQ Radio is just dampness in general. And obviously, a lot of times, dampness problems are caused by plumbing problems. And I don't have to expand on that, but what I would like is, is Beth, maybe as the technical services manager, you could tell us a little bit about how Mr. Reuter trains or, you know, um, prepares plumbers to deal with the follow-up, let's say, when you've had a water line break that you go in and fix, but now you've got a, a dampness issue throughout a home. Do you have some kind of preferred or uh, standard operating procedure that the people should follow with respect to how to handle any indoor air quality problems that may result from that dampness? Whenever there's been a major leak in someone's home, if it's a minor leak, they'll they'll normally provide fans and they'll uh, make sure there's no mold and make, make sure that the area is completely dry before working in there. One, for the safety of their own employees, um, but too, for the safety of the people that are going to be living there. Um, But we do recommend a remediation company come in if there's a major leak to check and make sure that everything has dried properly, that there's no mold issues, that there's no air quality issues that are going to cause uh, future problems for the families. You know, we just got a text from our technical director, and it leads me to a quick question that follows up on on some uh, some of the, I guess, things that you have to do when, say, for instance, you're leaving your home for a while. Any tips on weatherization of plumbing or just turn it off or weatherization issues with respect to plumbing? Maybe, Don, you want to handle that one? Sure. Um, depending on the climate that you're in, the, the area, uh, winterization of the house is, is a good thing to do. Uh, what we do is, uh, of course, turn the water off at the water source but also take a, a, a air compressor and, and blow all the water out of the lines so that there's no water left in there that could freeze and burst. And then also any of the uh, 
heat traps on the toilets or tubs, showers, and sinks like that. We put a RV antifreeze in there to, to displace the water to protect those uh, items so that you don't have any damage to it. And we drain the water heater down completely. Oh, yeah. But another thing that we also recommend to them is just as a, as a precaution, if they can, and most people do this, is just lower your thermostat setting down to about 50 degrees just to keep it uh, the, the chill out of the house or at least uh, to keep the freezing out of the house. And that does a lot of good right there, too. What about in disaster situations where, for instance, you've lost your gas and your electric, uh, are, you know, you're still trying to maintain your home, stay in your home. Um, what are the precautions with respect to maybe leaving the, the faucet on a little bit to keep the water running when you've got cold weather? Is that a good idea or a bad idea? I've heard it mentioned before. Yes, that's a good idea because it allows the water to keep flowing uh, where the it doesn't have a chance to freeze. Now, you don't need a full flowing faucet, but it's just enough dribble to uh, to allow water to, to go through that. And you should do it on all the, uh, any of the plumbing that would be in an exterior wall is a good idea to, to, to do it. I, I, Cliff had written a question. I'm not sure. I want to make sure I got this right. I remember Beth mentioned checking the pressure in your lines and i want to make sure that we talk a little bit about the recommended methods for maintaining the proper flow through drains and sewer lines and um, let's maybe start with beth and then if don wants to add something if we could talk a little bit about the proper flow through drains and sewer lines yeah well well first of all everybody wants to prevent stoppages because they never come in a timely uh, manner so, with, but with normal everyday use of your drain lines, there's organic buildup in your uh, in those lines. People use soap, grease, toothpaste, their hair, food scraps, all that builds up in the lines. You can't um, you can't prevent putting that those things down your drain. So, in order to prevent some of those things and prevent clogged drains and foul odors that come from those things and live, uh, you know, insects. Um, it's a great habitat for insects to live and eat and breed. There's ways to prevent that from happening. And, of course, you can have a, an environmentally friendly drain uh, maintenance products that you can put down your line that prevent the foul odor and help to maintain free-flowing drain lines. You can reduce the volume of water um, that you're putting down your drain lines um, through water conservation, both good for the environment and good for your drain lines and good for your water bill. Um, you can, uh, and a reduction in those things would be things like uh, uh, you put special shower heads on that don't eliminate the performance, but they reduce the volume of water, but you still have a great performance and, and different aerators on the end of faucets and things like that. Um, you be careful what you place down the drains. Uh, messy, smelly, and toxic waste uh, creates significant damage to homes and it will decrease the value of your home if it's spilling over and in your yard and inside your house. So just, just be cautious what you put down there. Okay. You know, Beth, you live in California. You're a woman, uh, what, and you're a plumber. What do you use to maintain uh, the drains in your own house? Do you use an acid-type product? Do you use an enzyme-type product? Uh, what are you using at home? Eh, I use none of the above. Okay. Um, acid acid will destroy your lines and and damage your lines. So and a lot of the cities don't allow you to do that. Enzymes. Um, what that does, if you have a stoppage and put an enzyme down your line, it will break the stoppage up, but it will solidify farther down in the line. So a lot of the 
um, jurisdictions don't allow enzymes anymore or prefer that you don't use it because it causes problems in the sewage treatment plant. What we recommend is a bacteria product. We have Mr. Ritter Plumbing has its own product. It's called um, BioChoice that we recommend. But um, there are products out there. They're, it's a bacteria. It's a living, breathing bacteria that you put down the line, and it actually eats the organic material. So that and it, it breeds in your line. Basically, every 20 minutes, it, it 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 grows in your line. It's not something you can physically see. See, it has to be in a living system, which we consider your sewer line to be a living system as long as you're not dumping bleach or things like that down your line. It will keep it odor-free. It will eat the enzymes so there's nothing left but but air, water, you know. Uh, water and air is what's left as a result. So um, we recommend you use some, a, a bacteria-based product. Okay, cool. Dawn, maybe as a follow-up to that, a lot of listeners, myself uh, as well, and I'm sure people in your area, you're in Asheville in uh, western North Carolina there, have septic systems. What do you recommend with respect to maintenance of the septic system with respect to adding bacteria or uh, other products? On, on a septic tank maintenance, we recommend that you do have it uh, pumped every three to five years. And uh, over the years of, uh, of the way soaps have evolved, uh, they've become more antibacterial, like a, a lava... <clears throat> A, uh, a antibacterial hand soaps and uh, anti-deodorant soaps, those are all antibacterial. And what you're doing when you put that into a septic tank system is you're telling the, the septic tank that operates on bacteria is that you're telling it, we don't want you, we're going to kill you. So unless you're eating organically and not taking any medicines, heavy medicines, uh, things like that, you're going to, we recommend that you do put a bacteria in there to keep that environment growing. It's always best to do that, and it does prevent, help prevent uh, backups that can back up into the plumbing system. Plus, in the that bacteria that's added to it also gets into the uh, distribution system after the septic tank because that does build up in there too, and it helps keep that area clean also and give you a longer life out of the drain field. So it, it does help with the drain field then, huh? That's because... You know, as the host, I get to ask some oh, questions absolutely. for personal use here, and uh, <laughs> my drain field's having a little bit of an issue there, and they told me to try and um, use a little extra bacteria directly into the drain field. So, I, you know, there's a drain that goes into the drain field, and I'm trying to figure out a way to get a hose and, and pour some extra bacteria down into that drain field. It sounds like you think that might help a little bit. Under the right conditions, yeah. If it's not a saturated drain field, which means it won't just accept any more water, uh, the bacteria will not help that. If it's a, a clogged drain lines uh, in the drain field itself that uh, get the gunk build up in there, that it absolutely will help with that. Let me get one more. Uh, my, we we recently had to clear off the top of our septic systems so that we could get them expected. There's a baffle apparently in there that they wanted to make sure was not crumbled and destroyed. And um, winter came kind of quick on me here, Don, and now I don't have any dirt on top of my uh, system. Am I going to have a problem with freezing, or do I need to get on that, like, tomorrow? Uh, it would recommend, uh, you know, at least six inches to a foot of dirt over the top of it. But you're usually not going to have a problem with that because the water temperature in there is always pretty high. 
uh, it, it would take a lot for it to freeze. Now, if you're in Alaska, I would say, yeah, absolutely, you better get that taken care of. Uh, but in Pennsylvania, I think you'll be okay. Okay, thanks. I appreciate that, Cliff. Uh, Austin, oh, that's cracking up. Uh, okay. <laughs> cracking gotcha. ice. Cracking Got it. Ice. Okay, right. I wasn't thanks. sure. All okay. right. Uh, what I'd like to do, let's talk about some of the methods that you use to deal with you know, clearing sewage lines. I mean, people in the restoration business encounter uh, sewer backups, uh, sewage intrusions, and so on and so forth pretty commonly. Can you kind of tell us the process, Don, that you use? Tell us a little bit about the equipment or, you know, the options, and mm-hmm. how do you do well, that? Well, there are a variety of ways of cleaning it. The, the most typical way that people have seen before is where we, you use a uh, electric cable machine, and when I call it a cable, it's a spiral uh, spiral cable that's uh, that's attached to an electric motor and it feeds down it has that blade on the end of it and it, you feed it down in through a clean out to uh, to break a blockage but what can happen sometimes is the uh, you get a, a soft blockage in there and your cable just goes through that soft blockage doesn't clear anything you pull the cable back and the blockage closes back down at that time then we have to bring in a uh, larger piece of equipment, and it's actually the ones we use are on a trailer uh, unit, and it uses water pressure to help liquefy that soft blockage uh, so it can get flowing again, and it uh, actually does a great job, much better than a cable even on a dry blockage, uh, that it will bring the pipe back to uh, within 95% of its original diameter just by scrubbing that line out of there. It's called a hydro scrubber, and it does a great job on it. I mean, how do you know where the blockage is? Do you use a camera or something like that to see in the system? That's a good question. We get people asking that they want to see where the blockage is, and, and unfortunately, uh, the, the camera doesn't work. You can't see anything underwater with the camera. Usually it's uh, uh, gunky water to begin with, but I use the uh, example of it's like looking underwater with your eyes open. You know something's there, but you can't identify anything. So what we have to do is clear the blockage first, and and you use the cable, you know, where you're getting into a hard blockage, you know, to work on that area. But if it's a soft one, uh, that, uh, that those are difficult at times. Uh, they won't break, and that's when we have to bring in the larger piece of equipment, the hydro scrubber, and that'll clear it out of there. And then we use the camera afterwards to see why there was a, pro- a problem with it. Is it a broken line? Is it a, a misalignment in the line? Uh, is it a, uh, uh, we call it a belly in the pipe where it goes down lower than one area and it holds water in that area, which then it holds uh, uh, organic matter in there and builds it up. Uh, there's just a variety of things that it could be, and it could be root intrusion. Uh, uh, we get that a lot on the on the clay pipes where the joints are, um, they're never sealed properly and roots looking for food always find the pipe to go in through and you would uh, in our area the pipes are three foot long so every three feet you would have a root mass in there and at that point uh, we tell the people that uh, roots are not your problem the, the pipe is not sealed properly to, and roots are getting in that is your problem is because of the water being able to get in or the roots to get in because water's getting out is there a way of kind of cutting those out without digging up all the pipe, Don? Uh, 
the Hydra scrubber uh, does a good job on it because it uses a, a pinpoint size spray of water, and it cuts the roots out of there. And it does get it open and flowing everything, but all you've done is treat a symptom. You haven't solved the problem. That At that point, you, we recommend that you can either, if it's just one area, we recommend a point repair. Uh, if it's uh, an ongoing long issue inside the pipe, we recommend a replacement if you want to cure that symptom. All right. Well, kind of like a haircut. Uh, you know, you have to get a haircut done again. Yeah. You got to cut it every uh, every. Well, it depends on what's growing there, I guess, and how quickly, exactly. huh? Yeah. All right. Well, we are coming up on halftime right now, and we've got uh, a couple things we've got to do before we go to IE Connections. What's news? I know Cliff has an, a sad announcement, but an announcement nonetheless. Nonetheless. I'm sad to report that Walter E. Ozzie Werner Jr., age 82, passed away on November 22nd while in retirement in Hilton Head, South Carolina. Born in Pittsburgh, where he attended and played football at the University of Pittsburgh. After serving honorably in the U.S. Army, he was the fourth generation of his family to work in the family rug cleaning and dry cleaning business, Oswald Werner and Sons in Pittsburgh. In 1954, he expanded the family business into commercial and residential cleaning, first as one of the original franchise holders of Service Master and later taking the family name for the business. He was a founding member and past president of the Tri-State Restorers and Specialty Cleaners Association, uh, which is where I met him and knew him. Uh, he is deeply missed by his family, friends, and industry colleagues. Uh, Ozzy, rest in peace. All right. Thank you, Cliff. And let's go to IE Connections. What's news? We don't have any music. All right. No problem. Or uh, we, We've got to uh, unmute Mr. Fellman, though. We do have Glenn Fellman here, though, for some IE Connections. What's news? Hello, Glenn. Hey, my SAG contract says that I get music. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. We'll, uh, we'll give you a little extra percentage on your pay this week. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> A hundred percent of zero works perfect. Yes, sir. <laughs> All right, guys. What's news? Oh, it's, a, it's a big news, uh, a big big time for news. December is uh, typically a quiet month, but not this year. Uh, the latest edition of Indoor Environment Connections newspaper is online now at ieconnections.com, and I want to talk about some of the stories that we're covering this month, and uh, then people can go in and read them in detail. Our at-press time story is that EPA is seeking input on retrofits and human health. Uh, the Environmental Protection Agency released for comment a series of best practice tools to maintain or improve indoor air quality and residents' health when performing home energy retrofits. The protocols are supposed to help ensure home energy retrofits include appropriate health protections, such as protection of indoor air quality. 
this is one part of an announcement made uh, uh, a couple days ago by uh, Joe Biden, Vice President Joe Biden, on federal actions designed to build a stronger home energy retrofit market, increase energy efficiency, and create savings for families across the country. EPA's draft healthy indoor environment protocols for home energy upgrades are intended for voluntary adoption by weatherization assistance programs, federally funded housing programs, private sector home performance contractors, and other people working on residential retrofits or remodeling efforts. Uh, so if you want to learn more about uh, uh, those tools and, and, uh, and comment on them, uh, you can go to epa.gov, and the uh, the web link is uh, in uh, our website, ieconnections.com. You know, that's that's great news, Glenn. I'm, I'm so glad they finally, it's a little late, unfortunately, but at least uh, we've got it done because we made a lot of mistakes in the past, and hopefully we're learning from that this time around and some of the energy conservation folks will uh, get that document once it's finalized and pay attention. Yeah, we always talk about how the, the, you know, in the 1970s during the energy crisis, we sealed up our buildings and it caused all these problems. And as we've moved through uh, the last uh, couple of years and now weatherization and cash for caulkers has become, you know, a catchphrase, uh, you know, that concern's really been on my mind. And I'm, I'm likewise very glad to see EPA putting some effort into this so we don't repeat the mistakes of the past. Let me move on to my next story today. Uh, an interesting study came out uh, very recently, a paper that questions the ne- uh, uh, necessity and efficiency and effectiveness of, of air duct cleaning. This was a peer-reviewed scientific paper and cast doubts on the benefits of air duct cleaning with respect to improving indoor air quality. Uh, the investigators say, and I quote, despite the high efficiencies in contaminant removal within the ducts, cleaning effectiveness and reducing different indoor air pollutants vary widely, and in many cases, post-cleaning air pollutants concentrations were higher than pre-cleaning levels. Uh, the paper title is, Is Ventilation Duct Cleaning Useful? A Review of the Scientific Evidence and it appears in the most recent issue uh, most recent issue of the journal Indoor Air. Ventilation duct cleaning is widely uh, advocated to provide good indoor air quality, health benefits, cost savings, and enhance uh, ventilation system performance, and we hear about those things all the time in the IEQ industry. But according to this paper, there's evidence that under normal operating conditions, ventilation ducts can be contaminated with dust and serve as a reservoir for microbials to proliferate. However, Controlled experiments noted that contaminant resuspension can elevate the exposure levels indoors, and no field studies have correlated poor IAQ with dust contamination. Um, the authors conclude that there is inadequate evidence to show that air duct cleaning will improve airflow in the ducts and reduce energy consumption. And uh, they also note that more research is required to assess whether duct cleanliness or cleaning can indeed improve IAQ, reduce energy consumption, increase airflow rates, and enhance HVAC system performance. So it was a pretty, uh, a, a pretty uh, down study for, uh, for the HVAC system cleaning industry. Uh, I haven't seen an official response out of uh, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association or ASHRAE or the Air Conditioning Contractors Association. But John Schulte, the uh, executive director of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, did post uh, a couple comments on uh, Ian Cole's blog. That's Indoor Air Nerd, 
and a nerd like a N-E-R-D, indoorairnerd.com. And John Schulte writes that uh, uh, there are some studies that, that talk about the effectiveness of air duct cleaning. Uh, he cites one from the Annals of Allergy uh, and another one from Allergy Consumer Review. And then John concludes his uh, blog post by saying that, you know, obviously, if you're going to have your ventilation system cleaned, you need to find a company that's going to do it the right way and is going to prevent post-cleaning contamination. So it's an interesting uh, study, and it, it raises a lot of questions. I think those questions are, are going to linger in people's minds until we get some better science and some answers. Agreed. I think we need I, – I, I read that pretty carefully, too, Glenn, and, and – you know, it's like a lot of studies. There wasn't a lot of evidence to the contrary, but there wasn't a lot of evidence that it did improve IAQ. And as a result, you know, sometimes people jump to the conclusion they're saying it's bad, whereas maybe they're just saying there's not enough evidence to really say for certain that it's good. And that maybe will get some of the associations, like one of our sponsors, the National Air Duct Cleaners, to start to sponsor more research. I know they're sponsoring one now, but if we're going to say it works and it helps, we've got to show that through appropriate scientific research. Well, you know, the, 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 there was a study that EPA and NADCA did together in the 1990s, and it's cited in this paper. And it was a very small study. It was using equipment which really is, is almost primitive compared to the equipment that's used in the air duct cleaning industry today. And, uh, you know, it, it, there really is a need for this type of study in science. I know uh, NADCA is working on a study on uh, energy efficiencies, and hopefully they'll be able to bring out some great data from that. But uh, we'll see. Hey, I got one. I got a local story for you. All right. Maybe not that local. I don't know how local it is. Where's Lackawanna County? Lackawanna, east, east, east. okay, east, uh, toward P northeast. Yeah, that's all right. We still, it's still a PA story. We'll take it. Okay. Well, officials in Lackawanna, Lackawanna County, Pennsylvania, are wondering how they're going to come up with more than three million dollars to pay off a jury verdict related to mold contamination. Ouch. Yeah, a jury awarded the former owners of the property uh, a total of. $4.3 million for a mold problem they said was caused by a township and road project in front of their home. In assessing Most expensive piece of ass I ever had. There you go. In assessing who was responsible for what happened to the property, the jury assigned 76% negligence to the township board of supervisors and 24% to Hanson Aggregates, a construction company. The jury awarded Perini and Cazelli more than $3.4 million combined for past and future post-traumatic stress disorder and loss of life's pleasures and the use of its property, according to a report in the uh, Reading Tribune. The county's insurance for such verdicts reportedly has a cutoff of a half million dollars. Pretty big mold verdict. You don't see those uh, too often these days. Uh, how long ago was that, Glenn? That, that just came out. That just came out in the last couple weeks. Okay. Great. Right. Got a couple more for you if you've got some time for me. Let's, uh, let's do have one quick one. All right. Well, good. Uh, well, the last one's going to be that this is the uh, December issue of Indoor Environment Connections, and so this is the time of the year where we, we do retrospective stuff. Uh, we go back out to our editorial advisory board, who are some of the most esteemed uh, uh, professionals and, and uh, academics in the industry, and we ask them, what's the best and worst of uh, IAQ in 2010? And so we've got comments uh, from the likes of Bob Baker, who uh, talks about the economy quite a bit, uh, Dave Caverno, who uh, 
says politics was the worst of the year and the, the struggle between science and politics. We've got uh, great comments from Carl Grimes from Healthy Habitats, the, also the IAQA president. We've got some wonderful comments from Joe Hughes right here from IAQ Radio and IAQ Training Institute. Uh, Larry Robertson uh, from uh, IAQ Consultants is there. Al Veek from the National Air Filtration Association and Charlie Wiles from the American Council for Accredited Certification all opining on what was the best and worst for the industry in 2010. You can read all about that and much more at ieconnections.com. All right. That's it. Great. Thank you, Glenn. I hope you'll join us for the roundup. I'll be there. All right. Let's go back to our interview with Beth and Don. Beth Dobkin and Don Glovin, uh, both with Mr. Reuter, our technical services manager, and one of their franchisers, uh, franchisees, I guess that would be, in North Carolina. Cliff, let's uh, let you start the next round of questioning here. I'm wondering if there are any important facts about plumbing that property owners, homeowners, are unaware of. Well, there's one that we seem to get a lot that people don't think it's big, and, and, and Beth touched on it, uh, and that's the water pressure. And high water pressure, I kind of use, it, use the body as an example, is high water pressure is like high blood pressure. It's just bad for the plumbing system. Um, when you turn a faucet on with high pressure, you're using more water than you should be. Um, it goes through the pipes faster. You, you don't want the, the water, water velocity to be over 9 feet per second. Anything higher than that, it's aggressive to the pipes. It can wear the pipes out. So, Plus, as, she, as Beth had said, it's bad on the plumbing faucets. By It just puts it under a pressure it shouldn't be under. causes them to leak. So that would be a big one to, to make sure that your water pressure is, is at no higher than 75 uh, PSI. And at times, especially in our area, wherever you have a mountainous area or long areas, uh, long travel distances for the water, uh, our city pressure is uh, in some places up to 300 pounds. So, and we have to use regulators to reduce it down to the 75 pounds of pressure. What, what causes the knocking you sometimes will hear? I, I assume it could be several things, but uh, when you get knocking in your plumbing, when you, you, know, you turn on the pipes and you get that... Uh, kind of banging it sounds like sometimes they're they're coming through the walls right that's water hammer what's happening there is when you turn a faucet off that flow of the water all that energy is coming in one direction and if you turn the faucet off hard enough that energy now goes in the opposite direction and that sudden change is what causes water hammer and if you have a, a plumbing system that's very secure and tight and everything that's actually not good for it because that shock then is is going into the fittings and stuff and, and causing a, that surge right there. And actually, if, if you hear knocking going on, that, that energy is being released and shaking the pipes. So that's a way for it to release that energy. Uh, you should have what they call shock arresters. They look like shock absorbers a little bit uh, working internally. It's a, a sealed, sealed on one end. It has a gas injected into it, and then there's a cylinder in there with o-rings on it it slides up and down it absorbs that initial shock reduces it down significantly um can one of you tell me what a shower pan is and whether or not i should be concerned about it what a shower pan the yeah. shower pan itself right uh, well a shower pan is 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 just uh 
what you stand on to take your shower. If it's not tiled and there's uh, on your floor, then you have a shower pan. Um, and shower pans are often in fiberglass, and um, they can crack, they can chip, they just like anything else. They're usually designed to be skid-free so nobody can fall and get hurt. But over time, they do wear, and around the, around the drain is where you would have to be cautious um, oftentimes or if it splits in the system. You want to make sure that you're checking because if you start to get a mushy floor underneath your shower pan, you've got some um, rotting and mold issues that you need to deal with. So you want to watch for that and make sure that it's sealed correctly. I think that's a pretty common problem for our, our people that do indoor environmental quality investigations, uh, problems with shower pans and, and problems around showers. Can you give our listeners who do that type of work any tips with respect to what to look for uh, the, with respect to, you know, whether it's the pan itself or maybe a water line or something like that? Um, what kind of, you know, in the field tips? How do you evaluate these problems, Don? Well, if we get the call for a, a leak around a shower, what we try to determine is if, if it's an ongoing leak, it's just there all the time, always wet, then, then we can have a, uh, a leak in the wall itself, and that leak could be coming from a, a packing that's loose or worn out. It could be that the plates that go against the wall where the faucet handles are, they are letting water drip inside the wall, uh, things like that. Uh, another one would be if the shower, like uh, Beth was saying, if the shower pan is bad, um, the water, uh, especially if it's a tile one, and the, sh- the liner underneath there has become cracked and water leaks out of that when you're using the shower, that, uh, that takes a long time to show up. And, and when you have a long time for water to show up where you can see it either on the, on the ceiling or dripping in a basement or crawl space, uh, the wood is probably saturated at that point, and that's going to start your mold growth right there. Preventative. Go ahead, go ahead, Beth. I'm sorry. To prevent some of that, um, homeowners should look for any, especially on tile, look for any uh, cracks in the grouting, look for any open holes that over time the grouting just kind of goes away and there's sealant that they can do and they should make sure that it's sealed well anywhere they can. And around the face plates where uh, Don was talking about on the wall, the face plates or the, the cover plates that make it look all pretty and shiny, um, you want to make sure that that's sealed as well so no water can get behind it. So um, a, a, a standard uh, clear caulking that you can buy at or sealant that you can buy at any hardware store would be fine. You know, we talked about some of the problems that cold weather can have on a plumbing system. What about hot weather? I mean, does that have any adverse effect on a plumbing system? Absolutely. There's constant expansion and contraction that's varying uh, throughout the year due to the temperatures. Humidity changes will degrade the plumbing material. Acid rain will degrade plumbing material, and UV rays uh, in areas uh, that have really intense sun, you need to make sure that any exposed plumbing is either um, painted or is uh, wrapped or whatever preventative measures they call for in your area to protect that piping. 
Don, did you want to add anything on that? You're in a kind of hot climate. You're in a mixed humid climate, I think. Yeah, we're in a mixed climate. What we what we do find out uh, on on the expansion and contraction that Beth was talking about a, a lot of is uh, on the roof, the uh, roof, the vent flashings that they use for the uh, plumbing vent coming through there. It's an elastomeric, but it gets it dries out over time and just loses elasticity. And we'll get a call for a plumbing leak, and we find out that it's actually a roof leak. And again, those can cause that mold issue when the water running down the past the seal and then and showing up on the floor below or even in the basement area following a pipe all the way down and it, we can they think it's a plumbing issue but it's really a roofing issue let me do one quick follow-up on that i i think may relate to that issue and then i've got another question from cliff's uh, list here what about uh sewer traps drying out you know they're not used very for a while and some like in a basement uh shower or something like that you'll get people that use it you know very infrequently it dries out and then um maybe also you'll get uh slow leaks in those types of situations and let's say someone can't necessarily afford to repair that right away any tips for people on how to avoid those or do you have any uh, little tips for how to make sure that the water doesn't uh, evaporate as quickly? Well, you can put uh, on a drain that you're not using a lot of uh, where the trap seal does evaporate. Uh, you can do this, is, is go ahead and fill it back up with water, and then just put a little bit of mineral oil on there, and that'll keep one side of the trap from uh, the, the air ex uh, evaporating the water on the one side. You would still have it on the inside plumbing where air is, but it will reduce the amount of uh, surface area that can evaporate. As far as uh, a pipe starting to leak and do something to uh, prevent that from happening, um, I can tell you all the handyman repairs that we've seen on that that don't work. <laughs> <laughs> but fixing it properly, you're going to have to replace it. Uh, there's all those products you see on, on TV or, or duct tape is very universal in plumbing, too. <laughs> the the universal men's way of fixing just about everything. I love it. Um, with respect to plumbing components, um, today there's a lot of it appears to be new, newer type plumbing components. How do these compare to their predecessors? Well, on their, if you have aggressive water, meaning that the water quality is not good, uh, the Plastic materials are great for that because they're very resistant to those. Uh, copper in an area used in an area like that, it, it will wear it out. We do on wells specifically. We have this up here, and not in all areas, but just the water quality. If you have a high acidic water, uh, that's going to eat the copper up over time. And one of the ways you can t tell if you have acidic water, if you're on a well, is if you have a little green tint. On top of the water, you see grease, green staining around the uh, bathroom sink, things like that. That'll indicate you've got aggressive water uh, because water wants to be pH neutral. And it, it'll do anything it can to, to get itself to that. And one of the things that that, does, uh, that that it can use to do that is copper. So it's eating, it's trying to get back to a neutral pH balance, and it's going to use copper to do that, and that'll thin it out. You start getting pinholes in the copper, and once you start doing that, we'll get a call out to fix that leak. We fix that leak, and what that does is it just raises the pressure up just a little bit more, and now it's going to find the next pinhole that's weaker, 
that became the weakest one at that point. It's kind of like a chain. Uh, it, it always finds the weakest leak every time you keep increasing the pressure a little bit. You fix one, then the next one shows up, and it just snowballs from that point. Beth, anything you wanted to add there? Um, I think you did a really good job of explaining how that happened. Uh, let me let me follow up then with uh, respect to the material used for pipe in general now you've got the uh, you know obviously we're all used to copper and some of the other um, older materials that in fact what one time we had lead uh, pipelines and and even galvanized, uh, galvanized steel etc and now we're seeing a lot more plastic pvc type pipe and uh, what they call pex any comments on those types of products well pex is a great material it's it's as long as it's installed properly. Uh, I've seen plumbers install it the way they would copper. Every time they want to make a change of direction, they put a fitting in there, and that's actually not the right way to do it, according to the manufacturer's instructions. Uh, with plastic, you get uh, more expansion and contraction on there, and they they want the piping a little looser to allow for that. If you make it too tight and it's you've uh, put it in hot weather, and when it contracts, it could pull the joints apart. So it does have benefits that it's quicker installation, longer life to it, but it has to be installed properly. Any special precautions for our folks that live in areas where we have slab-on-grade construction? And, Beth, I, you may have quite a bit of this out where you're at in that uh, California, Sacramento area. What's the best type of pipe? A lot of times the pipes are underneath the slab. Uh, what's the best type of pipe? for that type of application? Uh, well, we, it really depends on your soil conditions as well. Um, but we, we recommend people try not to run their pipes through the slab just because um, eventually you're going to get a slab leak. It's just going to happen um, over time. But um, it, we suggest if you are running, it, running under the slab, you would use plastic rather than copper. It would have less electrolysis there or problems with the soil um we highly recommend you run it in the walls rather than underneath the slab though unfortunately <laughs> i happen again i get to use my own situation i've got a uh, pipe underneath my slab unfortunately and uh how do you locate the source of a leak under a slab, is there any tricks to that? If you th if you think you have one, is there some way of uh, trying to pinpoint where it might be? Well, we have there's great technology out there now that um, for leak detection underneath a slab, it's electronic equipment that can ad identify the leak um, from the movement of the water pretty accurately. Um, that equipment obviously is quite expensive and it requires somebody who really knows what they're doing. So a professional going out there to identify it is best, unless you're really good with two wires and, you know, you can cross them as you walk. And <laughs> <laughs> well, what's that uh, technology based on? Is it some type of, uh, I don't know. Radio, radio waves. It's radio waves. Radio waves. Mm -hmm. So you're kind of listening to, to see the difference in the, in the flow? In the, yeah, you, you can hear it by sound. It all comes off as sound, and it's like a sonar type. Uh, it, it's really like something you would see on a ship or something. It's, it's really unique, but, but it, it's really quite accurate. Um, so you're, you have a headset on, and you have uh, like a, 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 the, end, the tip you're running across the slab floor, 
and you're listening for the changes in sound, and it, it, can, it can locate the water and the sound, and um, it, it's just getting more sophisticated all the time, so it's much more accurate than it used to be. Great. Okay. Well, thanks for that. And I know, uh, let, do you want to go to the roundup, Cliff, or do one yeah, more let, first? Yeah, let's just go to roundup. All right. We're going to go to what we call a roundup and then go around the, yeah, the horn stay, here and ask one us. more question. Stay with us, please. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw hide. Cut him out, ride him in, ride him in, let him out, cut him out, ride him in, raw Let's start with Glenn Fellman. We'll get him back on the line here. One second, Glenn. Uh, do you have any questions for our guest for the roundup? By the way, this has been uh, quite interesting for me. I wasn't sure how plumbing on IEQ would turn out, but doggone it, it's been good. Hello. Glenn, go for it. Not, not just good, real good. <laughs> I, I've got a question for our guest. Two questions, if I could, please. The first question is this. Uh, about uh, maybe 12 years ago, my wife had her dreams crushed when we uh, walked into a home. We had uh, put a contract on with our home inspector. We walked into the basement. He looked up at the ceiling and said, you can't buy this house. And we said, what? And he said, those are polybutylene pipes. We're out of here. Uh, and then I did some research on polybutylene and found out all about the class action suit and the problems. My question for the guests uh, do you still see polybutylene plumbing in, uh, in installation, or has it all sort of disintegrated at this point in time? Uh, we still come across it, and uh, actually the house that I own has polybutylene, uh, but it has the copper fittings in there. And the fittings were some of the issues on if you're on uh, city water, if the chlorine content was greater than two parts per million, you will have issues. I happen to be on a well, I live in a rural area, and the house is probably um, 23, 24 years old now, and we're not having a problem or anything like that. So it's the water that was being used in the pipe, and unfortunately it just got a bad rap over uh, how it was being used, and lawyers took over at that point. Don, how do you recognize poly, before, I know you have another one, Glenn, but how do you recognize if it's polybutylene? It's a gray pipe. Gray pipe, okay. Yeah, battleship gray. Battleship gray, but older gray, and not not like the PEX, which is sometimes gray as well, isn't it? Uh, no, the PEX would be white. Uh, they add a tint to it and make it in red or blue, also for for potable water use. Um, PEX is also used in natural gas, but it's a yellow pipe. Yellow, then. Okay, Glenn. All right. My second question is a, a kind of an indoor air quality question. Uh, if you could hypothesize for me a little bit. Uh, not too long ago, I walked into a colleague's building, and when I walked in, I smelled the faint odor of sewer gas. And as I went into the suite that uh, my colleague occupies, uh, I could still smell it, and we're good enough friends that I could mention it. And I said, uh, hey, you know, it seems to me like I smell sewer gas. Is that, is that what that is? And, and he said, yeah. He said, that happens uh, every time uh, there's a big rainstorm. Uh, the next day that happens. Why would that be? Sounds like they have a venting issue or, or a stoppage that the rain is filling up the, um, the vents or the line and causing that odor. Um, 
you'd have to look at the system to see what type of system they're on, but it's definitely a venting issue. So if water was, if rainwater was coming down through the, the vents through the top of the building, it could come, somehow cause the sewer gas to push backwards into the occupied space. Is that what you're saying? Well, possibly, but you're, you're looking at, it, it could be um, the, the ground could be getting saturated and filling a sewer line or, mm-hmm. or there, and, and causing that to back into the building as well, that I smell to back into the building. i tell my friend that he should call his plumber. Is he on a septic tank? No. Okay. No, not, I, don't, I don't think so. It's, a, it's in an industrial park. Hmm. One, one of the things we need to make sure is that um, there's no leaves. Uh, up, up on the roof in the venting that there's no kind of clogs in the, vent, the roof vents and because uh, that does happen you know you get birds that drop sticks down there or build their nests on top of the vents or uh, you know the fall we just had the fall and, and leaves could accumulate and fall into those vents and it could really create um, a back uh, smell of sewer gas because it's trapped got it thank you mm-hmm Cliff? Yeah, I've got a question really that involves galvanized pipe. Um, and yeah, I own a piece of property that has uh, some galvanized pipe in it. And um, the heat was shut off in the building. And I'm wondering whether or not uh, when the heat comes back on, whether galvanized pipe is more vulnerable to um, stoppages and startages of water running through it than other types of pipe? It's a, it's more durable than a copper line would be just because of the material thickness of it. Uh, it it'll hold it. If it's an older line where uh, it might be um, wearing out from the inside, then yes, it can show itself with a, a crack or a burst in it. Just curious, before we go, um, I'll have two questions. One, we talked a little bit about new diagnostic devices and repair tools, and uh, I appreciate Beth's answer on that with respect to finding leaks under slabs, but um, I'm curious, are there any other new things out there that our listeners should be aware of? Because a lot of these folks, you know, they they also try to help track down water damage issues and uh, don't always necessarily have to bring a plumber in. They may be tracking down any number of different sources. Any tips on new diagnostic tools or techniques? Um, something, I was going to say something really easy that the customer could install themselves and it could save their family's lives. And um, carbon monoxide detectors um, are becoming a must in every home. Uh, it's easy for for anybody that has a gas water heater to the burner assembly could become sooted up or could become um, not burning properly and could be releasing carbon monoxide, which has no odor to it. Um, and and it, it's a definite problem. Um, also, again, if the vents on the water heater are um, blocked or clogged from the roof and that carbon monoxide could back up into the home. So that's something really easy that a, a a uh, residential customer could go ahead and, and install themselves to prevent any damage to their home along that line. Okay. Don, anything you wanted to add? Uh, there, there is some new technology out for with uh, leaks, uh, water sensors that, that um, attach, uh, that, that are wireless, and you put them around their water, potential water leak areas, and there's a solenoid-controlled valve 
that is operated by a controller that can turn the water off to prevent it, it would this would come in mainly if, if it's a second home where it's not occupied all the time but they don't want to go through the, ha the hassle of turning the water on and off so there's some electronics coming into the plumbing system to, to be able to control that uh, it, it even hooked up to an alarm system where it'll notify uh, of an issue of a water problem uh, at that time. One last quick one. This has been fun. I've got one other one. Hot water tanks. You mentioned those, and I'm curious, is there a rule of thumb with Mr. Reuter for how long a hot water tank should last, and does that vary by region in the country? Yes to all of that. <laughs> and more. Uh, they can last anywhere from five years to 30 years. Uh, it just depends on, like you said, the water quality that's in it, how often they use it, uh, uh, because of the expansion and contraction that it, it does as, as you heat and cool, heat and cool. That's the biggest thing that kills it is, is heat. You just uh, The metal is just uh, becoming worn out. There, there is a way that, that you can maintain your water heater to help it last longer, and that's to drain it annually, which is a recommendation from the manufacturers that you go in and you drain it and try and drain up any sediment buildup that might be inside the unit. Um, however, a caution with that is the drain valves um, can leak when you touch them, but you you want to know that because if it's going to start to leak, you want to be able to you want to be able to um, stop that because that's your relief valve anyway on your water heater and, and release pressure in the tank and stuff. So um, they should be testing their pressure relief valve on their water heater uh, to make sure that it pro properly works at least once a year and they should be draining their water heater and doing maintenance on it at least once a year and it should extend the life of that unit. I am glad I asked. Okay, great tips. Thanks, both of you. And before we go, we always like to give you the last word. Is there anything that you would like to add we didn't ask or just uh, a final comment? We'll start with Beth. Um, my final comment would be if you want to save money uh, and you want to help the environment to look into some green plumbing tips uh, on the WaterSense website. It'll, it's really interesting. Is that WaterSense.com? It sure is. W-A-T-E-R sense, S-E-N-S-E dot com. Yes. Great. Yes. Thank you for that. Don? Uh, I wanted to touch on the water heater issue that uh, on that safety relief valve that Beth talked about. Sometimes we come across that people think that uh, the valve's defective and rather than just replacing it, they'll cap it. And that is a huge, huge, huge mistake. Uh, Mythbusters did a segment on that with a cap the sealed water heater and letting it overpressurize inside there. So I would recommend that you either look at that online. Uh, just by capping off the valve, the safety valve, is you're creating a bomb in the house. Well, thank you for that, and thank both of you. I want to make sure we uh, thank both Beth Dobkin and Don Globin for joining us for a very interesting show this week. Cliff? Yeah, what's the website uh, to get more information on Mr. Reuter? www.mrreuter.com. That's M-R-R-O-O-T-E-R.com. Well, I want to thank again both of you for joining us and, of course, for Mr. Reuter for allowing your, or encouraging you, I guess, to come on the show. We do appreciate it and hope to talk to you again sometime.
Thank you. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Before we go, I also want to thank my co-host, the Z-Man. That's fun, Joe. Cliff, you pulled off another one while I was out of the office here. Thank you, sir. Always great. Um, Glenn Fellman for our IE Connections, What's News. Austin uh, Stone Cold Novak for assisting us at the controls. Also, I smell uh, something I <laughs> 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 also want to let uh, listeners know, next week we've got a, a really good show. Attorney Doug Farquhar will uh, join us from the National Conference of State Legislatures. We're going to talk about indoor air quality issues and uh, national and state legislation issues. We're going to probably finish up the year with that one if unless we do something brief on the 24th. That will be on the 17th. And, of course, I want to make sure I thank our growing group of loyal listeners. We had a really nice live crowd on today. Downloads are going very well. Without you, we don't have a show, so thanks again for joining us this week on IAQ Radio. This has been another IAQ Radio production. Call recording has been completed.